Welcome to Amazing Horse Country. And thank you for tuning in to the Amazing Horse Country podcast. I'm Scott Phillips. It was a hot and sunny day and I was 10 years old. School was out for the summer. My friend Kevin and I had invited our friends over to the farm for some fun. And we were practical jokers. There was a spot on our property where two small hills converged. Well, when I was 10 they were hills, but they were really more like mounds in the grass. Regardless, where these hills met, there was a depression in the ground that, when it rained, would always be full of water. Well, Kevin and I decided to make that depression a little deeper. We procured some spades from the barn, and after expending all of our energy, we dug out an extra two feet of depth. Because it was at the bottom of the mound, it didn't take long for us to clear out the topsoil and hit the clay. The clay was hard to dig, but it held water, which was the whole point. Trench complete, we hauled water and filled up our pit. The recipe was enhanced by mixing the topsoil back in the water to make a sloppy muck hole. Finally, we tossed on some leaves and grass we'd ripped up to disguise it and make it look like the surrounding grass. Looking back, I'm sure it was completely obvious. But at 10 years old, it looked good to us. When our friends showed up, we suggested having a tug of war. We found a thick rope that happened to be conveniently located on the floor of the barn. We split into two teams. The only problem was that Kevin and I had ended up on separate teams. There was quite a discussion on who was going to be on which team, and we shot a glance at each other as we realized that we had no good excuse to be on the same team. Uh-oh. Well, Kevin was a year older than me, and he was teamed up with his friends that were also a year older than me. I was with my classmates, who were the same age as me. And since 11-year-olds are somewhat bigger and stronger than 10-year-olds, well, I'm sure you get where this is headed. We lined up and we grabbed the rope tight. Our team pulled with all our might, but we didn't stand a chance. As the team captain, I was right up front and despite my best efforts, I was dragged until my feet hit the edge of the muck hole, which up until this point, only Kevin and I knew existed. When my feet tipped in the hole, I couldn't pull back anymore. I had no traction left. The rest of my team gave up at that point and let go. This caused our opponents to jerk the rope backwards and fall over. And if there was any saving grace, that brief moment was it. But because I was holding on the rope and not pulling, that yank was enough to pull me forward, my arms windmilling as I lost my balance and fell face first into the mud. I did join the others in the ensuing laughter. When you're a practical joker like I was, and still am for that matter, you have to laugh when things don't turn out the way you expect. And it's always a treat when others try to get you back. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So states Sir Isaac Newton's third law of motion. This is tied in to how we ride our horses in some very obvious ways that we typically don't think about, but when we do, it will likely change how we ride from now on, in a positive, supportive way. So put on your physics hat and let's go exploring. 
Have you ever played the tug-of-war game? It's a contest in which two teams, or two people, pull at the opposite ends of a rope until one drags the other over a central line. We did this quite a bit as kids, and usually there was a puddle of mud in between us. Let's consider a hypothetical example. Jim and Bob are pulling on opposite ends of a rope. If neither Jim nor Bob is moving, then both are pulling exactly the same amount, but in opposing directions. If Jim is pulling with 50 pounds of force, then Bob must also be pulling with 50 pounds of force. It's a stalemate. Follow me so far? I want you to think of what is actually going on in our bodies to produce that 50 pounds, or the pulling force itself. <laughs> That's right, muscles. In combination with bones and ground friction, but we won't get into that right now. For us to push, pull, or move involves our muscles activating. When muscle fibers are activated, they tighten or contract. This is what a muscle is for. Therefore, pairs of muscles are required to produce opposing motions. For example, when you pull your arm up or push it down, that involves a muscle pair. One muscle in the pair will activate while the other muscle relaxes. Still with me? All right, let's say the rope between Jim and Bob is slack. It has no tension. They haven't started their tug of war yet. Neither Jim nor Bob have activated any muscles then. Now, Bob starts to pull on the rope. Immediately, Jim matches that pulling force. So what just happened there? Bob caused Jim to activate muscles. We know that Bob's desire is to move Jim. But the muscles that have activated are actually causing Jim to pull in the opposing direction. Remember, every force has an equal and opposite force. To prove that theory, all Bob has to do is let go of the rope. What's going to happen? Jim is going to go flying, but which direction? Backwards, of course, not forwards, which is the direction Bob wants him to move. Consider this in the use of the lead rope. If you pull forward on the lead rope, and the rope becomes tight, it is tight only because you have caused the horse to engage muscles to oppose your motion. You have caused the horse to pull in the opposite direction that you intended. This is just basic physics at work. If the horse was not engaging muscles to pull opposite your intent, then the lead rope would be slack and the horse would be moving with you. We have a video on our website that shows this. Just head to articles.amazinghorsecountry.com and search for the Sir Isaac Newton article. You'll find the full printed version of this podcast illustrated with pictures and video. Now consider one more part of the equation. The harder we pull, the more difficult we make it for our horse. Again, this makes complete sense when you think about it from a physics perspective. Let's say you're pulling on that lead rope with 25 pounds of force. We now know that means your horse is pulling the opposite direction with precisely 25 pounds of force. So in order for your horse to move, he has to release the 25 pounds of tension he is holding first. This is quite a contrast to the tension that should be in the lead rope, which is about the weight of a C-cell battery. That is easy for him to release to. A pause for thought. A horse can cause another horse to move in any direction without even making physical contact. In fact, by barely moving at all. And so can we when we learn to communicate with them. 
So why then do we sometimes resort to pulling and yanking on a lead rope or a rein? Here's a two-part answer for you. The first one will shock you. We have arms. Because of this uniqueness, we are used to being able to move things by pushing and pulling. But most of the time, those things are inanimate. They don't think. They don't have fears. Like a grocery cart. Pushing and pulling to move those things is a no-brainer. But with a horse, an animal that thinks, we need to cause them to want to move, cause them to use muscles in certain ways, instead of trying to pull or force it to happen. But when we don't understand how something works, or we don't yet have the skills to communicate in the horse's language, we typically turn to control. But then again, you've heard people say, control is an illusion. And I believe this. And in the case of a horse, who may get scared or isn't doing what we want, we sometimes resort to force to accomplish our goals. Ultimately, it is never a winning game. Let's step in with some positive leadership instead and find some ways to assist our horses. Have you ever had the thought, my horse is pulling on the reins? It is actually impossible for that to happen. Because in order for the horse to do that, you need to be pulling with exactly the same amount of force. And I mean exactly. Because if the rein is not moving, then the horse's muscles are engaged to exactly the same amount yours are. Remember again, for every force, there is an equal and opposite force. Alright, here's your physics test. A little quiz question for you but I know you'll get this one right. What's the solution to prevent the horse from pulling on the reins? You got it. Don't give them anything to pull on. A tug of war can never happen if only one team pulls because the rope will never have tension. Think about Jim and Bob and their tug of war. Bob picks up the rope. As soon as Jim feels that the rope moves a tiny bit, he steps forward. When he does this, he releases any tension in the rope before it gets tight. Now, Bob is causing Jim to move without pulling on him. This is really important because, as we know, the primary function of the rein is to support the horse in using their body athletically and in balance by asking specific muscles to either release or engage. In the context of this conversation, we're asking the horse to release muscles in the upper part of his neck, around the pole. What we see when the horse releases those muscles is in most texts referred to as movement of the jaw or pole. Tightness in the rein can prevent this from happening. And continued work with a tight rein forces the horse to move through brace, which is mental and muscular tension, which results in some very undesired consequences that can actually include injury that requires therapy. Not only that, but the horse will learn that the lead rope or rein can produce pain or soreness. In that case, they'll likely learn to brace before you even pick the rein up. A horse in this case has learned to protect their neck from injury. No different than you bracing if someone was going to hit you. The good news is that these amazing animals will give us a second chance. We can show them how to release to the rain again. 
Our style of horsemanship ensures that the training experience for horses and owners is positive so that they learn to trust and let go of fear and tension. And in that state, we can produce the highest degrees of athleticism, far beyond what we can attain through forcing a horse into submission or obedience. It's not a big undertaking, either. A simple understanding of how horses think and how their bodies work might take you a few hours. In fact, we touch on those pieces in every single one of our clinics and online programs. Our perception of problems is exacerbated by misinterpretation and generally personification. When we try to explain what the horse is doing by comparing their actions to what a human would do. This is natural for us. We call this the false consensus effect. And we'll be doing another podcast that explains this. It's a fun one. When we put an effort into understanding the horse though, things get much easier. The horse is not really a complex animal, but we need to take the time to learn about them. Let's talk a little bit about what resistance is. Have you ever heard of resistance training? If you've been to the gym, you likely have. It's a type of strength training where resistance is used to build muscles. A Bowflex machine is a good example. You build muscles by pulling on cables attached to flexible rods. As the rod bends more, it provides more resistance, pulling against you. This causes your muscles to engage, giving you a workout, and hence building muscle. And guess what? The rein can be a bullflex too, because as soon as that rein is tight, the horse is turning on muscles to resist you. You are not only building your own arm muscles, but building muscles in the horse. But those muscles are ones that can prevent them from moving athletically, and in many cases, can cause movement in exactly the opposite direction. Remember the tug of war? And we see this in horses sometimes when someone is pulling on, let's say, the left rein and the horse starts to bend their head to the right because they're pulling their head away from the force of the rein. We want to switch that up a little bit so what the horse feels is a slight feel on that rein which causes them to release tension in their neck and bend in the direction of the rein. So let's talk about the rein for example. We all desire that a horse is light on the reins. That is, they're able to respond to the slightest feel of a rein. That goal can be reached with every horse, once we give them the chance to do so. If the horse isn't responding to the reins, pulling the rein harder is counterproductive. It might seem like a good solution. After all, for us humans, if something isn't moving, we just pull it harder, right? But not in the case of a horse. Remember, she's a thinking, feeling animal. So communicating with her is the key. It's not a perfect world though, and there are several reasons a horse will not respond to a light feel. One is fear, another is a leadership issue, a third is not knowing how to respond to pressure, and like we discussed, another reason is they might think they're going to get their head jerked on, so they tighten up right away. Also, a distraction can cause your horse to focus somewhere else instead of on you and what you're doing with the rein. And in that case, what we want to do is get their focus back on us. Have you ever seen a horse that jerks his head up or rears? Again, think of Sir Isaac Newton. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Horses that have been yanked on learn to pull. 
Sometimes it can be tempting to jerk on a lead rope to get the horse's attention, but the negative consequences of that, which are teaching the horse to jerk, far outweigh any momentary fix we might get. The point is, we don't want to teach the horse that the lead rope or rein will cause discomfort and pain. We do want to use the lead rope and the rein to cause the horse to release muscular and mental tension and follow our focus. So what can we do? There are a few important pieces which go into the answer. Let's look at two fundamental requirements. Number one, focus. We train our horses that when there is stress or distraction, that the answer is always to focus on us. And when we're riding, to follow our focus. We also learn how to use pressure as a positive cue and teach the horse that the response to pressure is to release tension and focus on us. Sometimes, the methods we use to train our horses actually cause the problems we're trying to fix. Good examples are bomb-proofing and desensitizing when those methods are used to teach a horse to ignore pressure when what we actually want them to do is to release the pressure and follow us. Another one is lunging or use of the round pen where the horse is sent in circles with nothing being asked of their mind. They learn that in motion they can think of anything other than you. In contrast, lunging and the round pen can be excellent venues to develop a horse that follows your focus, energy and balance and thus reduce a dependence on the rein. And in that way, we can eliminate the tug-of-war scenario altogether. The second is leadership. We need to be the leader in a herd consisting of the horse and us. We often have a gray area in our leadership agreement with our horses. And I have to admit, even I find myself having to detail that agreement once in a while. We're all human and we get sloppy. Plus, horses that are growing up and finding different spots in the herd will take those confidences back and they might challenge you once in a while. So, leadership is something that evolves and adapts. But the good thing is, when we are seen as the leader in the horse's eyes, we can work with both a dominant horse and a fearful horse in the same way. Check out the Following Under Pressure video series as well. That's on our website. You can see all this theory in action. The goal is that when pressure presents itself, the horse will defer to following the leader, which is us. What happens when things do not go right, though? If you feel you're in a position where you think you have to pull or jerk on a rope or a rein, first of all, don't, unless your life depends on it. Just take a deep breath and evaluate the reason. It's likely one of the following. 1. The horse is focused on something else. And in that case, they're not really feeling of you or the rate. In this case, we desire that the horse's focus return to ours. And we can do that by making a sound or maybe a tap with your foot or a touch with a crop or the tail end of your rein, but not pulling harder on the rein. The other is that the horse might be scared and is fleeing or freezing. And in this case, the rein is actually a great tool once they understand that the rein means release tension and follow your focus. But we need to show them that, and that's where the groundwork is fundamental. 
A third is that the horse feels that he or she is above you in the herd order, and therefore you should be following their lead. Again, in our clinics, we focus on those things. We discuss the use of the lead rope as a precursor to the rein and methods of rein use that directly facilitate softness and athletic ability. We explore the biomechanics of the horse and exactly what goes on in the horse's body and mind to produce the motions we desire and how the rein, seat, and legs assist that. When you think about it, isn't that knowledge really a fundamental part of all of our riding? The fantastic part of all of this is that these principles apply to every discipline and every horse in existence. The reason being, the horse is a horse. Although every horse is a unique individual with unique mental and physical needs, their minds and bodies work in similar ways regardless of the discipline they're ridden in. It's not much different than working with people. Consider training someone to do a job they don't understand. We can either grab their arms and force them to do it in the hopes they learn through that, although we'll probably get slapped with some harassment charges, or we can learn to communicate demonstrate, and support in a positive, encouraging way. And when we go down that road, we actually build a much deeper and respectful relationship with our horse because it's based on trust. And with some practice, we can apply these techniques to whatever we do with every horse with lasting success. Hats off to Sir Isaac Newton. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Why not join us? Become a patron and a member of Amazing Horse Country. We'd be glad to have you. Membership levels include early access to podcasts, our member-only forum, lots of Amazing Horse Country swag, participation in our live webinars, and even one-on-one training with me, Scott Phillips. Membership plans start for as little as $5 Canadian per month, and those go a long way to helping us provide podcasts, videos, and more for all you fantastic horse people. Give it some thought. Again, we'd love to have you join us. Just head to AmazingHorseCountry.com backslash membership. Even with a basic free membership, you can register for our amazing clinics and webinars, watch training videos, engage in our articles, share your horse stories, and much more. You'll find it all at AmazingHorseCountry.com. Oh, before you go, why not take a couple seconds and give us a five-star rating on whatever podcatcher you're using? We'd love your feedback. Until next time, my friends, happy trails.